This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! Dude, look at my hair. Doesn't it look amazing? It's like almost sandy level. I used it. Yeah. Here's here's the thing. You're very blurry in the video that I'm getting. So I can tell that it's a lot, but I'm not getting details. It's uh, very beautifully defined curls, and it it really added to the volume. I'm impressed. I used a new, uh, I used a co-wash to wash it with. So it's like a conditioner kind of thing. It was great. Man. Oh, nice. I'm loving nice. this and hair. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to the show last night. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. I, I, we wanted to stick around and say hi to you guys and everything, but Paul was like falling asleep. He had to get up at like four that morning. So, oh, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, he was super tired. So I was like, let's get you home. So, yeah. No, it was it's, fun. All, it's all good. Well, what did you think of this episode? We, I actually just watched it this morning. I didn't squeeze it in yesterday. <laughs> so okay. I watched the episode this morning. All in all, I think this is actually, like, a pretty solid episode. There's a lot going on, a lot to talk about. Nothing, nothing tremendously outrageous that was causing me to send you texts in all caps. I know, but I did forget about the dream sequence, which we'll definitely get into. Oh my god, (laughs) it's so good. I love a good dream sequence. This is Gotta Grow Up Sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective. I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. And we watched episode 34 of Swan's Crossing. Boy, it was a fun one. We are ramping up to the the big Nudebronk benefit, which is the next episode. And my God, it is one of my favorites in the entire show. I can't wait. Oh, boy. Yeah. Cannot wait. Very excited. Yeah. You want to go over my predictions from last time? Let's hit it. So, you predicted that there would be more JT and Neil and a Glory focus, plus the Baldy would try to get the notebooks from Glory. I'm going to give you all of that. I think all of that more or less happened. I will take it. You thought that Glory would spend time studying the physics book to win JT's heart, or it would never be mentioned again. Uh, Still giving you that because it will never be mentioned again, just FYI. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love how Glory gets little like hints that something might be coming for her, and then nothing ever comes of it. <laughs> this has happened multiple times for her. <laughs> you predicted that Sandy would help Sydney pick out an outfit for the benefit, and Sydney would desperately need her there with her. That did not happen. Nope. We saw a new side of Sandy today. I know. Yes, I'm loving it. You predicted that a conversation would happen between Mila and Billy about the benefit, or nothing would happen at all with Mila, and she and Billy would show up at the benefit together in the next episode. Um, I'm saying no on that one. Okay. You pre- I mean, there was just a, there was a little bit of Mila. Yeah. There wasn't a ton. Yeah, and it was not much about Billy in it, so I can't give you that one. Yeah. Sadly. But you did predict that Garrett would revel in his evil plot to release the birth certificate, which still never gets released. And, like, 
Kinda. Because even though Garrett wasn't directly in this episode, he was indirectly in it a lot. And I kind of feel like he was reveling by proxy. (laughs) 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 Which, now that I've said it, might have to be the title for this episode. (laughs) Reveling by proxy is very good. (laughs) And finally, you predicted that Callie and Jimmy would go back to the tool and die to get their bikes. They would discover it's unlocked, but the barrack would be gone, and that there would be no barrack in this episode. No, there was some interesting barrack action in this one. Yeah, barrack action is is a good way of putting that. So the the, the shopfactory.tv thumbnail for this episode, they've really caught Sarah Michelle Geller in mid-sentence on this one. She appears to be lying on her side wearing a black and white top with print. Um, the background was extremely fuzzy, but I guess because uh, because it's all brown behind her that she was in her bedroom. She did look like she had some sass going on, but I was really at a loss to pull any meaning from the thumbnail, which made me sad because usually it feels like the thumbnail carries its own little story. I know it's not really the greatest thumbnail for this one, but uh, accurate in that Sydney spent a lot of time lying down on her bed in her bedroom and didn't do a whole lot else. So much bedroom time. Like I, I don't ever need to see brown walls again. Thank you. Speaking of brown walls in Sydney's bedroom, that's exactly where we open, with a POV shot as someone rummages through stacks and stacks of boxes at the Rutledge Mansion. It is truly, it like, it's an insane number of boxes, and I love how none of them are the same. <laughs> you got some banker's boxes, you got some shoe boxes, you got some, like, moving boxes, like, it's, it is all over. Yeah, it also occurred to me, because literally she's going through and, like, picking things up and just flinging them. Maybe the Rutledge's home is always such a mess because Sydney constantly throws things everywhere. Right? I mean, what, like, you gotta give Ralph something to do. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, otherwise, what are you paying him for? Right? Well, she finds a box marked memorabilia and unearths a family photo album, which she presses against her chest as spooky piano music guides us into a flashback of that time from the last episode when she found the note from Garrett at No Man's Land. You've gotten to the benefit tomorrow. So good. So good. And we get like an yeah, echo effect too. Like I love that it's like echoey where she rereads the note and it's all echo, echo, echo. Nudebrank. <laughs> Nudebrank, Nudebrank, Nudebrank. <laughs> so good. Um, she is, uh, I want to talk about her costume a little bit because she is uncharacteristically in like a white crop top t-shirt and sweatpants. Yeah. And a ponytail, which as I recall from this era is like the cool girl workout outfit. Oh yeah, this is definitely the athleisure wear of the early 90s, but like for sure it denotes someone who's not putting any effort into their appearance, right? Which is definitely Sydney. And it's like I hate the crop top sweatshirt thing. I hated it back then. It didn't make sense to me because the whole point of wearing a sweatshirt is to be warm and cozy, but this leaves like a whole swath of your core vulnerable to drafts. It just doesn't make sense for a garment. It's like a vest or fingerless gloves. Listen, a lot of the things that the patriarchy has done have ended up in garments that don't make sense for women. <laughs> that is true. Good point. <laughs> I mean, 
when you get right down to it. Ralph kind of notes that Sydney is going through some shit, and he remarks on it, and he gives her a silver jewelry box, which Sydney says is Mother's special keepsake box. When Ralph comes into the room, he is loaded with boxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is excellent. They're like, he's got his hands all the way down and their boxes in them up to his chin. It's great. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Well, Sydney takes this box that he found while a synth trumpet fanfare plays and she declares, I'm saved. Uh, my favorite thing about this is that she declares that she's saved before opening the box. <laughs> she just assumes she knows what's inside and it's exactly what she needs, whatever that Maybe. Means. Maybe wait until you know. Oh, Might geez. be a good idea. We cut over to JT's room where Neil is working on some ub 2 b stuff on a notepad. Because remember, they're not using the computer for that shit anymore. They need heat shields. <laughs> Boy, do they. He's really into this idea of heat shields. He really needs heat shields. JT is trying to get a word in edgewise with someone on the phone while while Neil mutters about heat shields. And it gradually becomes apparent that JT is talking to the Countess. And apparently, she has enlisted JT to research Nudibronx for the benefit tomorrow. Which, you know, I mean, if she didn't know anything about Nudibronx, which we obviously know she didn't, what's the point of doing a benefit for them? Like, Well, I love that she's basically outsourcing her seduction of Captain Walker to the local children of the town. <laughs> Like, I hope she's paying JT for his time, because this is ridiculous. That's so good. Outsourcing your seduction. That's another good episode title. God, it's going to be another one where I can't choose. Oh, and here's the thing. I've noticed that a good portion of our episode titles are things that you say, and I'm talking it up to you being a professional word person. (laughs) I'll take it, sure. Well, JT finally gets the Countess off the phone, and after she has evidently extracted some additional promise from him, uh, Neil expresses his frustration because now even the Countess is interrupting their work. Ugh. Neil freaks out because he's, he discovers that JT has been working on his poetry uh, instead of Ubi-Tubi, and accuses him of being a saboteur, and then they get in an actual brawl. Right? Like, it starts out... As an actual brawl where Neil is, like, trying to keep the poetry pages away from JT. And then it becomes, like, this friendly wrestling. And then, at the very last shot, Neil looks like he is actually trying to strangle JT to death. It is, and, like, there's this weird, like, couple of Three Stooges moments where, like, JT, like, winds up. I mean, it's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. they, They really did not pick a style of fight to have. And there's so much violence in this episode. It is, Lots of violence. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, kicking and, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. We cut to the outside of the tool and die in darkness, where Barrick is testing out a new automatic opening device for the shop's door, and the camera watches him from the bushes. Is that what he was doing? I was so confused about what was happening there. Yeah, he's like, he has like a little clicker thing in his hand. He presses it. The shop door sort of automatically slides partway closed and he's like, yeah. And then he walks away, like leaves the set. He does not go into the shop, which is important to note. (laughs) Because we see that it's Callie who's been watching from the bushes. She immediately creeps up to the half open door and looks inside. And now suddenly Beric is on the inside of the shop, even though we just saw him walk away from it. 
And he's like in total darkness with a single small work light burning while he looks through a jeweler's headband magnifier and works on some small piece of equipment. This section of editing is so confusing. Very weird. I actually had to rewind it a couple times to be like, wait, did he seriously walk away from the shop? Did I just miss that he went in the door? Nope. He walks away. And then moments later, Callie looks at him inside. It is so fucked up. I love it. And really, the whole point of this section is that Callie's foot hits a bottle, which knocks over, makes a noise, and Varric, like, starts up from whatever it is that he's working on, and Callie, like, freaks out and jets. Right. And that's the important thing to know. Unfortunately, they gave us a lot of things that we did not need to know. Unless that automatic door opener becomes super important later, Libby, which I'm sure it does, given the way that you're smiling. Well, something from this scene will become important later. I'll tell you that. Oh my god. (laughs) We go to commercial. When we come back, we get our theme song. And then we're back in Sydney's room with her and Ralph. She can't get the box open because it is locked. And um, Sydney breaks the nail trying to get it open, which, which is like, I remember as a child that being the thing that we made fun of girls for. It just, like, I feel like they're really playing into a stereotype. Anyway, Ralph thinks it's a sign that maybe she shouldn't open the box. And Sydney says, Mother and I don't have any secrets. And the look on her face <laughs> told me that even she could not justify saying those words. She says that if Muffy wasn't such a sound sleeper, she'd wake her up herself and ask for the key. And then Ralph says, well, then I guess it can wait till morning. And she's like, no, 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 it can't. And apparently Ralph is a master locksmith, which Sydney knows because one time she locked Sandy in a closet accidentally on purpose. And Ralph rescued her with his lock picking skills. Nice. Why is everyone such a jerk to Sandy? <laughs> Why? Also, also, it, it's got to be, it's got to be a good thing when you've got a butler who can pick locks. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Sydney's phone rings as Ralph exits. It's Mila, who can't sleep because she keeps thinking about Garrett. Apparently, they have already had this conversation two times today. And I don't know about you, Libby, but my favorite thing in drama is when characters talk about stuff that they already know. Oh, God. It's definitely my fave. Oh. We call that the Expositron 5000. Yeah. So um, she mentions that she's still furious because Garrett tricked her into seeing him instead of asking her directly. And Sydney says, if there's a crooked line, Garrett is sure to walk it. And hats off to the writers. That is a good line. Yep. So they're in a split screen right now. Mila rolls over onto her back and holds up the previously discarded photo of Garrett. And then her side of the frame, like, zooms in on his image. So now it's just Sydney and Garrett's headshot in the split screen. This is the most artistic episode so far. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you. I have to agree with you. So Sydney brings up Billy Gunn just to get Mila to shut up shut up about Garrett and then eventually like makes up a bunch of stuff that she's doing for her mother, like hanging flyers or printing things or something. Anyway, just to like she's so sick of talking to Mila. Oh yeah, but be- uh, before she hustles Mila off the phone though, Mila's like, I've learned so much from you. I'm gonna take after you and have my own career. What fucking career does Sydney have? She's 14. 
Mila yeah. has had an actual career already. Like Sydney literally never does anything. I've never understood this thing of like people the same age looking up to each other. <laughs> anyway, Ralph comes back. Can't seem to like. It does eventually like unlock the box, and Sydney like grabs it, and we cut away before she opens it. Yeah, and then we come back to Mila. Oh boy, who calls Owen? <laughs> She's still thinking about Vision and Polka Dot Pink, and she wants to hear the song one more time before she goes to sleep. Owen appears to have been woken up by the call, but he's in the studio slash garage, and it's pitch dark in there. Does he sleep in there? Listen, I don't know that he can get out. We've never seen a door. (laughs) That's true. We don't know. I assume there's a teleport feature of the studio. That's my working theory now. Oh my god. Well, he kind of gropes around until he turns a light on, and then in order to wake himself up enough to play this song for Mila, he grabs a fistful of cookies that have just been left exposed to the open air, so they're definitely stale. And he starts the track playing while he recites the lines without singing them, but his mouth is full of cookies, and this is my favorite Owen moment since that time he had the vision of Mila underwater. It's great. (laughs) Uh, no one can swim with drumsticks. No one. <laughs> Thank God we cut back to Sydney and Ralph. Um, Sydney is trying to open it herself. And Ralph notes that Muffy has had it uh, since Sydney was quite young, and he can't ever remember Muffy opening it. And Sydney essentially just like shoves Ralph out of the room. She very she sits on the bed. She very carefully opens the lid. Inside the box is a single crystal swan. <laughs> The box otherwise is completely empty. Oh my And we're left to wonder why the fuck this is important. Obviously, the single crystal swan was not what Sydney was hoping to find because the saddest synth music ever plays while she collapses onto her bed and quietly weeps. We cut over to Callie, who arrives at the Lita completely out of breath, like she's been running. There's a shadow behind her, and she kicks back at a beautiful sidekick, nailing Jimmy in the stomach. It is in the stomach, but at first when I saw it, I totally thought she kicked him in the nuts. It definitely looks that way. Like, it it 100% looks like she kicked him in the nuts. <laughs> Well, he sort of like groans in pain and collapses onto the dock. And uh, Kelly immediately feels bad. And she's like, Jimmy asks who she thought he was, the Boogeyman or Dracula. Another nice writing moment because those were the two fake monsters Jimmy pretended to be in previous episodes while he awkwardly flirted with Callie. Ah. I was wondering where those references came from. And I'm glad that you pointed that out what should have been extremely obvious. Well, it's maybe only obvious if you've seen this show a million times like I have. She says that she thought he was Barrick. He They get into this argument about whether Barrick is who he says he is. And Jimmy accuses Callie of being jealous that he's friends with Barrick. Yeah, um, like that, and I don't really track that, like, because they hang out together. I don't, whatever. It makes no sense. A lot of this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> anyway, she accuses him of being entirely self-centered. He accuses her of gossiping about someone who's kind of a loner. And then he storms off 
and Callie shouts as she kicks the side of the sub. I uh, felt for her in this because that is exactly how any argument with me ends. I get mad and yell and kick something. I'm not proud of it, but it is the way I am made. <laughs> hey, if it if it gets the anger out, go for it. <laughs> right. Well, we cut to JT's room where Neil has found more of JT's poetries. Po- poetries. More of JT's pages of poetry. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Of course you are. And Neil is just like haranguing him over this. He's like teasing him so hard over the poetry. And JT's like, come on, I only write poetry in my spare time. And Neil's like, we don't have spare time. Our lives are on the line. <laughs> Literally, my notes say, wow, Neil, chill. Right? He goes from like playing around and joking about the poetry to like, someone tried to kill me. <laughs> 30 seconds flat, less than that. This conversation moves away, or moves to how they can appease the Countess and, and like prep for the benefit, and also that Neil shouldn't eat or drink anything, including the punch. I don't really get this though, because they're both like, God, I don't want to go to this stupid benefit, but I guess we have to. But why do they have to? Like, Neil even mentions that his parents are going to be out of town, so like he's not going to get dragged there by his philanthropist parents. So, like, why can't they just skip it? They're children. They don't have money to donate to a cause. Libby, you know know that I run a lot of fundraising events as part of my job, right? Yes. I I have to say that uh, in in planning a benefit, what you're trying to do is get people in a very good mood, uh, have them enjoying whatever food and beverage that they're enjoying, particularly if it's alcohol, because people tend to get very generous when they've had a few drinks. Yeah. And you know what's not conducive to people having a good time and drinking alcohol? What? Children. (laughs) Yeah, you know, now that I think of it, I haven't been to many benefits where there have been any children present at all. Sometimes. That's right. Sometimes little babies, you know, if they're too young to be left alone, but, well, left alone. I'm not saying we leave, like, three-year-olds alone, but, you know, like, little babies who need to nurse or something. But seriously. Put them in a kennel. Put them in a kennel. (laughs) Works for my dog. I mean, everybody was fine with that up through the 1980s, so. (laughs) I'm such a bad person. I don't mean any of this, dear 27 listeners. We don't. We don't mean it. Uh, Not exactly. Uh, The phone rings. JT starts to freak out because he knows it's Glory calling and he promised to read her his latest poem and he can't find that particular poem. Neil, while this is going on, gives him the best look. Like, why the fuck should I care about that? Like, I love Neil so much. It's great in this scene. Finally, JT picks up the phone and and starts read. Literally, just like immediately starts reading a poem, and uh, it's one of the baldies on the other end, complete with cotton balls in the ears, and this incredible ominous piano chord sounds in the soundtrack. It's so good. Oh, the baldy asks to speak to Professor Van. JT gets Neil's attention and directs him to the computer, and he says, you've got the wrong number, to which the baldy replies, I do not think so. For the last time, there's no Professor Van here, and the the split screen ends, JT doesn't hang up, Neil looks completely panicked, and we cut to the FBI guy. (laughs) One of whom is Garrett's original dad with his hair slicked back. Is that the one who is taking the stethoscope out of his ears? Yes, that is a stethoscope that he takes out of his ears. I just was like, this is insane. So Garrett's original dad asks the other Fed what he makes of whatever they just heard. And the Fed says, 
Ours is not to interpret, simply to report. Get our agent in Swan's Crossing, and he leaves. Jeez, we cut back to JT and Neil, and on the computer is flashing the words, execute tracing sequence, as Neil furiously pretends to type. And apparently it has worked because they do it a very, a very involved handshake and a phone number flashes up on the screen. Now, as I was watching this, I was when, I was like, when did Star 69 become a thing? I'm glad you asked that. Did you do the research on that? Because I did. <laughs> I did too. I did too. <laughs> I can't believe I love that we both had the same thought about this. Yeah, yeah. And anybody, anybody younger than, you know, us probably just grew up with caller ID. Yeah. But that was not always a thing. Yeah, back then, uh, to refresh the memories of all the oldsters like us who are listening to this, you had to dial star 69 and it would tell you the phone number that a missed call came in from. In this case, Neil's computer functions as a primitive star 69 and the number is 234-643-6940. Now, I hoped this would help us pinpoint the exact location of Swan's Crossing, but it turns out that 234 is the area code for Akron, Ohio, and it wasn't created as an area code until 2000. <laughs> wow. So I think in, in 1992, it was one of those like number combinations that were safe to use in fiction because no one actually had it. Like, you know how 555 was the way people would start fake phone numbers in movies or whatever? Yeah. So, yeah. So now the phone number doesn't belong to anyone because the 643 prefix... Uh, respond corresponds with Harrisonburg, Louisiana. So we have narrowed down the location of Swan's Crossing to being somewhere between Akron and Harrisonburg. So basically the full longitudinal breadth of the eastern United States. We, I love it. We got it. I love it. <laughs> also, also, Star 69 uh, became actively available nationally in the United States in 1993. So one year, uh, yeah, Neil's ahead of the curve by a whole year. Yeah, but it was in use apparently in Illinois starting as early as 1989. Wow. So, I mean, maybe we've we've said that Swan's Crossing is a town on the eastern seaboard, but maybe the seaboard is Lake Erie. <laughs> we never considered that. They realized... Uh, apparently, this phone number is the number of Swan's Soda Shop. <laughs> oh my god, which, the call is coming from inside the town! Which really freaked me out because I was like, that room that Baldy was in was really dark? Where is he in Swan's Soda Shop? Is he beneath the spinning gears? Where is he? He's under the counter. He's hiding underneath Jazz's dispensers of sadness and death. <laughs> Sydney is tossing and turning and restless sleep. And my God, I love this scene so much. Oh my gosh, it is so weird. Uh, there's a nightmare. It's a flashback to her weird fever dream with Garrett as the wizard going, uh, you know, I W Sandy Swan or whatever. And she goes, no. Well, then it plays her memory of Muffy talking about how things were so confusing the day she was born and Mrs. Swan gave birth to. And then they play the clip. <laughs> Of the wizard and the... No! By the power vested in me, I now pronounce you Sandy Swan. No! Thy 
five times <laughs> between other clips of Sydney freaking out, including the clip that we've already played of her getting the note all echoey of that she's only got until Friday. By the power vested in me, I now pronounce you Sandy Swan. No! It's like when the video invitation plays again at the end. That's how redundant this is. By the power vested in me, I now pronounce you Sandy Swan. No! Five times! By the power vested in me, I now pronounce you Sandy Swan. No! Five times. <laughs> we get you are now pronounced Sandy Swan. No! By the power vested in me, I now pronounce you Sandy Swan. No! I love it so much. It's been a horrible mistake. Horrible. Oh my god, I love this show. I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard. Okay, I gotta take my glasses off because they're getting fogged up from my tears of laughter. Five times. Oh my god. Someone is knocking on the bedroom door. Sydney comes out of her nightmare and hears Nancy calling to her and she rolls her eyes, which is great. <laughs> Nancy from outside the door is like, it's your best friend. I've come with the absolute latest gossip. I was like, Nancy, that's your only reason for going anywhere. Oh, God. Oh, she's a simple woman. We know what motivates her. Gossip and drunken milkshakes down at Swan's. And uh, control. Yes. That is her kink. That is her kink. Um, Sydney drags herself out of bed and zombie walks to the door. Nancy's wearing an absolutely banging Madras plaid blazer. I love it. It looks really, it's so 90s. It's perfect. Yeah. And and I just want to, I literally in my notes, it's like, OMG, Nancy has a new blazer. First time she's had a new blazer on the show. Yeah, usually it's just her navy blazer. This time she's feeling more festive, I suppose. Uh, she kisses Sydney on both cheeks and then demands to know what everyone will be wearing to the benefit in alphabetical order by last name. I just want it noted she, she got the door open with the promise of hot goss. <laughs> No hot goss is forthcoming. Right, instead she is demanding hot goss in return. She needs the goss. This was uh, was gossip fraud. Sydney's like, who cares about who's wearing what? And Nancy literally starts listing people who care. She even gets to Sandy. Sandy cares, but then again, who cares about Sandy? Like, oh my god, why do all these girls hate Sandy so much? Like, Sandy's a perfectly nice kid. What is going on here? Sandy shows up and just walks into the room without knocking. Sydney glares at her, demands to know what she wants. Sandy says she didn't come to bother Sydney. She came to help with Muffy handing out flyers. And literally in cap letters I have, why are you in this room? Yeah, first of all, why is she helping the mayor who he, she has no ties to of any kind? Like, why does she give a shit about this adult human's campaign for mayor? And also, why did you show up in Sydney's room just to tell her that you're not here to see her? Like, that's a weird move. But I did think maybe Sandy was just trying to get Sydney's goat because Garrett already told her that Sydney's jealous of her. So now she's like, this is my chance. I'm going to go in for the kill and be like, fuck you. I'm helping your mom. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not very clear. I'm just assuming that. Anyway, Sandy gets real sassy. Yeah, well, Nancy makes a bunch more bitchy comments about her hair and stuff, and Sandy, like, sticks up for herself. Yeah, Sandy got a little clap back here. 
And it's nice. It is. She even does a pitch-perfect head wobble. It's great. Sammy eventually gets the feeling that she's not wanted. And she says, I can tell when I'm not wanted. And starts to leave. And I was like, why are you in this room anyway? Well, she mentions on the way out the door that she has to go over to the booths anyway. And Sydney, like, immediately bolts up. And she's like, what? Why are you going to the booths? And Sandy's like, I don't have to tell you everything. And she leaves. Good for you, Sandy. Love Sassy Sandy Swan. Oh, totally here for Sassy Sandy Swan. Totally here for Sassy Sandy Swan <laughs> is another good episode title. I won't be able to choose. There's too many. Too many options. Nancy notices the crystal swan on Sydney's nightstand and talks about how old and valuable it is, but Sydney snatches it from her hands. I love that Nancy appears in this moment to be essentially like an antique appraiser. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> classic crystal swan from the 1930s. <laughs> Very valuable. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nancy tells Sydney to pull herself together because the party will be good for a few laughs since the Countess is giving it. And boy, she doesn't yet know how right she is about that. And Nancy keeps yakking about the party as Sydney goes to the window and looks out. There's no picture in the window at the booth house. Just Garrett... <laughs> Throwing a frisbee directly at it like a moron. <laughs> like right at a window. I mean, a frisbee's it's not like, going to break a window, but still. <laughs> the, I mean, it's just hysterically funny to me that we see the window and then this frisbee comes directly at it, followed by Garrett coming to come pick it up. Which is obviously just an excuse to get him in the shot of the window. I know, it's funny, but it's a pretty great shot because it's from a high perspective. Like, it's Sydney looking down on the booth front yard, and Sandy comes up to Garrett, and he kind of touches her hair and says he likes it, and she does a happy little spin, and they look so joyful together, and Sydney is so upset over all of this. Her pensive theme is playing in the background. We freeze frame on Sandy smiling at Garrett and roll credits. Oh, so good. I'm so jazzed up for next week. Ah, yeah. All right. Who was Psychopath of the Week? You know, I gotta go with Sydney. Yeah, she definitely was pretty psycho in this one. Her weird-ass fever dreams about this whole thing are hilarious to me. Oh, God, they're so funny. Yeah. And and you can't really give it to Callie because as weird as Callie's behavior is, it seems justified. Yeah. It does, especially because Barrett keeps following people around. Like, you should be worried about that. It's creepy and weird. Do you have a swan count for us? I do. We had, including the uh, crystal swan, two new fake swans, bringing our count to four imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and 95 other swans. Oh, shit. I want more real swans. I do, too. And I I think there are some more in a future outdoor scene, if I remember correctly. But I could be wrong about that. I want more outdoor swans. All right, I'm going to mute. Okay, tomorrow, next week is the Nudebrank, Nudebrank, whatever it is, benefit. I think that the Countess has a public speech that gets interrupted by the captain, who is irate that he has been called here under false pretenses because the Countess actually knows nothing about Nudebrank's. And I think Mila shows up with Billy Gunn and the Countess is charmed by him, which goes against everything that Garrett was saying would happen, which upsets Garrett. And I think we get another scenario in which Garrett gets Sydney so worked up that she lets flip 
that she's been having these fears that she is actually Sandy, much like the like the Mila Rosnowski thing where she introduces Callie as Mila uh, in a very public setting. So I think Sydney gets profoundly embarrassed, and it has uh, zero impact on Garrett's ability to play baseball, despite the fact that he was supposed to stay out of trouble. Oh, I think Coach Tuna is at the benefit. I think Coach Tuna comes to the benefit. And I don't think Owen plays at the benefit. I don't think we're going to get a lot of Owen in the next episode. I think JT and Neil deliver some like research to the Countess about the New Bronx but then get distracted. I think the Baldy takes the benefit opportunity to sneak into JT and Neil's room and try to get the information that he needs. And I think the thing that Barrick is working on is an aquarium for Nudibranchs. That's it. That's all I got. Okay, great. It's going to be super fun next week to see how close you got on some of these. I don't think I got anything right. No, I mean, some of them might be kind of close. Or they might not, because also some things happen that you will never be able to unsee. You will remember next next week's episode for as long as you live as one of the most bizarre shit shows you've ever seen on a screen before. Does, does is there a cake involved at all? Um, if there is a cake involved, it's not very involved. But that doesn't mean the countess doesn't know how to throw a party. I'll just say that. Oh man! Oh man! <laughs> All right. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometimes from the hit show Swans Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. And until we can see one another again, may all of your counters, or underneath your counters, be baldy free. <laughs> <laughs> Vested in me, I now pronounce you Sandy Swan.